thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your mercy and your love. Let us rejoice in your name, and as we are to hear your word, Father, prepare our hearts, open our eyes, give us wisdom, Father, give us love, just give us peace, and give us, as you already have, every reason to rejoice. We thank you for who you are and what you have done for us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Tim. Well, good morning. It's always good to be back. And uh, appreciate Pastor and his wife and uh, what's uh, going on here at the church and how much they help and serve here and how much they've done for our family and for my mom uh, since my dad's death two and a half years ago. And... um, but I know if Dad were here today, he would say that he loves you, and this place means a lot to him. And uh, all of us, uh, four teenagers in the family, graduated from the school here. Um, some took a little longer, summer school and stuff, but no, uh, we all made it through. And a lot of great stories in, in, time, in our time here, and it's always fun to get back. And uh, so keep praying for Mom and uh, Ruth, and she's doing pretty well. Also, um, as I look around, I, I see some families that uh, were here way back when when we were young, and I appreciate you guys' prayer and encouragement through the years. But I'm really excited about this week's VBS. I'm excited about these new families, young families, uh, because you know during the heyday we had uh, a balance of young and old, and I know that's what Pastor John wants is uh, to see the church thrive and and uh, pass the baton into the next generation. And so we'll continue to pray as we reach out to the younger families and that have the kids, so it'll be fun. Okay, I know a lot of you don't play tennis, but um, you remember the story of uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll. Remember that uh, preacher? Very practical preacher and, and author. I love the guy. And um, he wrote a book, and everybody's writing books on grace and mercy and love, and that's all great. And uh, leadership was really a big topic, right, for many years. But he decided to write a book on service, and he entitled it uh, Improving Your Serve. Improving Your Serve. And I grabbed a hold of that book years ago, and I've been in the ministry now 42 years, I guess it's been. And uh, But early on in my ministry, you know, you... You're confident, you're a little cocky sometimes, you're ready and excited to change the world and everything, but a lot of times you don't know how to disciple and how to train and how to equip others and and really why Jesus came. He came to serve, not to have people serve him. So I grabbed a hold of this book and I started to study it. And like always, with the Bible, you read it, you eat it, you memorize it, you meditate, you obey it. With Authors that are human, you chew up the meat and spit out the bones, okay? You're never going to find an author you agree with everything, but you chew it up and spit it out. But here's the bottom line. This was some good stuff because it was out of the life of Christ and how to serve others, and I began to put it into my ministry, and it really uh, equipped my leaders to not lord over people, but to serve people, and it made a huge difference. Well, I, I was fortunate because my dad was that kind of leader, 
every time his churches grew and got healthy and things were looking really good, most guys would coast a little bit. He would always leave and go find another church that was struggling and try to help them out. He was that kind of service mentality. So the interesting thing was uh, Chuck Swindoll um, was kind of proud of his book coming out, and uh, like you would be and I would be. So my version of the story, I don't know if this is his version, but uh, he was at a mall bookstore one time, and uh, he had a few of his friends, and so he kind of wanted to show off, hey, you know, my book came out, and so he asked the the girl there, you know, to look up his book and where is it and all this kind of stuff. And she couldn't find it anywhere, so it was kind of embarrassing to him. And it had just come out. It was a pretty popular book. They were checking the religious section, the you know, the new book section. They couldn't find it anyway. Guess where it was? In the sports section. <laughs> they saw improving the serve, so what did they do? They stuck it into the athletic side. And so they finally found the book in and, you know, thought it was a tennis, how to improve your serve. And uh, so he always told that story of um, being a little bit proud his book was coming out, but then he couldn't find it anywhere, so it kind of humbled him. And then when he was able to show his buddies that it wasn't about tennis, but it really was about serving. Well, I'm here to tell you that it relates. When you start a tennis match, what do you do? You stand at the line, you bounce the ball, and you serve, Right? But what do you yell before you serve? You yell a score. And what's the score at the beginning of the match? Love, love. Love, love, serve. Love, love, serve. That's my challenge for you this morning. Let's close in prayer. Just kidding. So here's the thing, okay? Our visitors from Detroit are going, I love this UP service, man. It's been, we're in and out of here. Uh, we beat the Presbyterians to the, you know, Timber Charlies. We're, we're ready to go. So we're, that's our goal. I think this is on tape, too. So I love all the Presbyterians. Don't worry. Just don't beat me to Timber Charlies. Okay. So today I want to talk to you about this concept of what does God really want? Um, does he want a life of leisure or a life of service? Life of leisure or a life of service? And I think there's a time when we go to the lake. There's a time when we take our kids out boating or, you know, to vacation to Disney or some other place. Um, and then there's a time um, where the majority of our experience is serving our wife or our husband, our kids, or at work, at the church, wherever it might be. And so take some time to refuel, but majority of our time, as I look through the scriptures, my job isn't... Uh, to retire from Christianity when I get to be a certain age, okay? I might pull back on my job, but God still wants me to serve him faithfully, okay? Well, a lot of times I'm kind of practical like you are, and I just, you know, know there's 66 books. I know there's a ton of things that God wants for me. Um, I love a lot of the the uh, Jewish r- rules and laws, and probably if I was living life over again, I would, you know, heed the Sabbath more um, on a Saturday with my family, and then being able to, with Sunday as a minister, your your life is, is still busy. And uh, to be able to have certain things, but people always say to me, you know, this Christianity thing has a lot of rules. Well, look at what Jesus did. 
Back then, um, you can take a peek. There's an argument a little bit between somewhere between 613 and 631 laws that the Jewish people had. Okay. God, Jehovah, came along and said, I'm going to narrow that down to Ten Commandments. And then Jesus came along and said, I'm going to narrow it into one and a half. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So if you look at Christianity through the years, um, when people tell me, oh, there's a lot of rules. I said, well, read the PGA golf book. Read Disney, uh, Disney's workbook. To work there, you have to have this, this, and that. Their, their rules are a lot more stringent than the churches. And we need to realize that religion is a little bit tedious with the rules. But you and I have a relationship with God through Jesus that's about a gift that he offered us. People say, why do you stir people to laugh in church? And I always say this, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Now we're alive unto Christ. If anybody should be happy in the world, it should be someone who has given their life to Jesus Christ. Because it isn't about us. It isn't about me turning over a new leaf or becoming a better person this year or trying to be better than the next guy. I have friends always say, well, you religious people think you're better than any, everybody else. And I always say, you know, it's really quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. What do you mean it's quite the opposite? Well, I came to realization that I'm a sinner and nothing I can do can get me to heaven. I've got to believe that Jesus died and rose again and that he wants to have a relationship with me. So he's offered me a free gift of forgiveness and salvation. If I humble myself, repent, and make him the Lord of my life, and I reach out and receive that gift, the truth is this. A religious person has realized they aren't good enough. So I joke with my friends all the time. It's quite the opposite. I've realized I need a Savior. You haven't got there yet. You can do it on your own. So it's actually the opposite. I've had a lot of my worldly friends say through the years from my time here in high school, oh, you're gambling, Reed, believing in all this Christianity stuff. And I would always joke with them, there's more proof of the Bible than any other book that's ever been written. You don't need the Bible to prove itself. There's 26,000 manuscripts for the New Testament alone. The next book in history has 600. And which book do we question all the time? The book that has the most proof. There's more proof of Jesus than any other man that's ever lived on the face of the earth, and you don't even need the Bible to prove it. But which man do we question? People come to me all the time and say, hey, if I could see it, I would believe it. Our youth group sat down and listed 97 things that you cannot see that are there. So you shouldn't be believing in heat, and you shouldn't be believing in oxygen, and you shouldn't be believing in the wind because you can't see it. Well, you can see the effects of it. Okay. Okay. I love the world, how they have a total you know, way to look at things until they have to run it all the way through. The bottom line is this. I'm a sinner. I need Christ. I'm not better than anybody else. I have just received that. It's changed my life. And that's why today, I'm glad people are politically active. I'm glad people are involved in praying for a country and voting. But I also believe that we don't allow our political stands to keep us from having relationships and sharing the gospel with people, because it shouldn't. We, bottom line, need to share the gospel of Christ by the way we live and the way we act, by serving them through things that are going on. So don't let people talk you into things. I've never met a place, I've 
traveled in 25 countries, studied every major religion, and I made a decision to believe in Jesus because it makes sense. And here's a great quote for you. You'll never become radically committed to something that doesn't make sense to you. You'll never become radically committed to something that doesn't make sense to you. When I first heard this from Dr. Del Husay in Phoenix, I had to think about it for a while. Everybody's into emotion and feeling and this and that and all that kind of stuff. Well, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll believe. No, this is about what? Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. In other words, he came to give everlasting life when we die. I'm thankful right now that your husband Bill and my dad are hanging out together and a number of others of your loved ones are hanging out in heaven because Jesus came to give life, everlasting life, but he came to give life for Shirley and I now in the midst of our loss. Okay? Abundant living for today. And it's not just about religion or going to church. It's about that relationship that only we can have with God through Jesus. And that's the cool thing as you look through this process of what does God want. So here's what I always ask. You got all these rules. You got all the stuff that changes, the the things that the world's throwing at you. Well, what about this and what about that? Uh, Billy Graham was asked uh, before he died, you know, you've studied the Bible, you've preached, you've gone everywhere. Um, you must understand most of Christianity. Probably when you get to heaven, you don't have a lot of questions like the rest of us do. And he just turned to the guy and said, are you crazy? I've got a hundred questions to ask God when I get there. We're not going to know every answer down here. But I'm just telling you right now, the proof is there. It's clear. But God has given us a free will. But you know what? My friends that don't believe it, I don't cram it down their throat, and I don't judge them for not believing. Because God created everyone with a free will. We've got to live it and share it, but allow people to be different and love them in in spite of whatever we believe. Okay? Well, when I ask this question, 66 books, all this crazy stuff, all this theological stuff, right? I needed an answer. I just needed something quick and succinct. And... uh, If we have it here, the verse I have for you today, and it's just one verse because it's so impactful, just one verse for you today. This is the question you and I ask. God, tell me what to do. There's so many things. I'm just bombarded by all this stuff. I feel guilty about my past. I I know I'm going to heaven because of Jesus, but I don't want to be judgmental of other people, and and I don't want to act like I'm better than them, and I, I want to reach out and serve other people. What do you want from me? What do you want from me, God? Boom, here it is. Follow with me if you would. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but? Okay? What does the Lord God ask of you? These four things. These four things. The first is fear the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, love him, Serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There's your answer today. Keep it simple, okay? I don't know about you, but my mind's going 100 direction. I'm a poster child for ADHD from the time I was really young before it became a popular disease. Now, basically, what am I? I'm all over the place. I need to know, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? Boom, there it is. Well, let's tear apart these four. And it will help us today. Fear the Lord. And what would you say to that? 
you would say, well, I grew up with all kinds of legalism and rules and, and fearing God and all that kind of stuff. That's not what it's talking about here. You know what this word means. This is the other definition of fear. It's respect. Respect. A sense of awe. We sang about it. A sense of awe. A sense of, of uh, you know, willingness to say, you're in charge. Okay? A respect that goes beyond just the normal, okay? So I want you to think about this. When you look up these words, what you're going to see is this. When when you are in awe of someone, there's a couple things that happen. Look at my face. Drop of the jaw. You've heard this before, right? Drop of the jaw and bending of the knee. When you see somebody, it's like, oh, caught a glimpse of the holiness of God, the power of his creation, the wonderful aspect of his word, miracles that he has done, uh, whatever it might be. When you look at the human body, you know it couldn't have happened by accident. You know, it's, there's, there's, there's no possible way. When you look at creation, there is no possible way it could happen by an accident. Absolutely no. Doesn't make any sense. And by the way, what does your friend say? We all live our life and then we all go to the same place. That doesn't make any sense either. Okay? That someone who's done all of this to women and children can be in the same place as someone who's lived a life that's good. Doesn't make any sense at all. See, how we live on the earth makes a difference where we go. Makes practical sense. So whether someone believes in religion or not, Think about it. Think about it. What God has laid out for us is practical, it's intelligent, and it's something you can believe in and bank on. And regardless of what people say in this day and age about, you know, people not being smart if they're into religion, you know, hey, I've heard the other side. It it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's very important that you look at it. God, what do you want from me? Boom. I need you to fear me. Respect me. Be in awe of me. Drop of the jaw. Oh, it's God. Wow. What do you want? Bending of the knee. Being humble. Giving in to what we would call the daily lordship of Christ. What do you want to do? But God, he cut me off. But Lord, what do you want me to do? God, they ripped me off. God, they abused me. What do you want me to do? See, God's going to take care of those that have hurt you. It's clear in Scripture. Okay? I I laugh when people talk about karma all the time in the world. Okay? They they came up with this word back, you know, with the Buddhist brand. The Bible has been teaching this, you know, years and years before, that what you do (laughs) makes a difference. God will make sure that we reap what we sow. And... uh, People always say, well, that's unfair. You had to go through that. No, what's fair, I don't want because I would be paying for my own sin. I like this way that God is unfair, (laughs) that he allowed his son to die for me and for you so that we could fear him, respect him, be in awe of him, let our relationship with him affect our lifestyle. Unbelievable. Have you been in that situation? 
where you just said, man, God is real. And I don't understand all of it. I've got all kinds of questions. But I'm going to fear him, respect him. Now look at me. Not I'm living in fear of him. I am respecting him. Number two, walk in all of his ways. What does the word walk mean here? Conduct. How you conduct yourself. I don't conduct myself very good sometimes. I don't say some things that I should say. I've got grandkids. I've got my own kids. Remember when you were single and you knew everything about parenting? Okay. And uh, remember when you were married and you had no kids and you knew even more about parenting? And then you had a kid and you were like, even if you didn't pray much before, you learned how to pray. Right? We love these kids, but wow. You know? I, you know and I know it's probably from you know your spouse's side that they're messed up. It's not your fault. Um, it is in my family. And I can say that truthfully because she's not here today. Okay? <laughs> Uh, we've all been there, right? Different things at work that humble us. And we're like, God, help us. Help us. There are different things that have helped us. Some of us have been through some pretty tragic things in our lives. Got a phone call one morning. And uh, my daughter was on a mission trip in Romania. She's spending the year around the world. <clears throat> And uh, your daughter has fallen off a three-story building. I said, is she alive? It was my first question. We're not sure she's going to make it. And a couple hours later, they call back. She's going to live. What's my next question? She paralyzed, right? I don't know. We're going to see. A few hours later. You know, she's fractured her pelvis. And I always thought for a read, uh, if we land on our head or our butt, we're going to be okay. You know, because we've got a lot of padding back here and not much up there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's the other reads. Um, but she fractured her pelvis in three places, but it saved her life. <clears throat> You'll never walk again, never have a child again, and you know how that goes. When God hears that, he just smiles sometimes, right? Things don't always work out that way. Sometimes God has another plan. We've both been there. I've prayed over my best friend in, you know, Arizona with a brain tumor, but I prayed God's will. God gave him three more years, and we were able to lead a lot of people to Christ at the hospital because they saw our relationship, and they saw his joy in the midst of tough situations. But God's will was for him to leave the earth at 50, okay? Um, in this particular situation with my daughter, Tara, he chose to have her live and chose to heal her after about 50 days in the hospital there in Romania. A lot of miracles in between. And, um, and then 
she ended up getting married to a missionary, and they've been missionaries in Africa and Philippines and Dominican, and God's used them. They've raised three kids. The last one's a kid with special needs that's had 15 surgeries in the last two and a half years. So they've lived through it like you have. But you know what? God is still God. When my wife was going through a cancer scare a few years ago, I was praying with some of my students at the university where I teach, and, and, uh, and they said, how can you, you know, be joyful? I said, because joy is not dependent on people or circumstances. It's dependent on God. And if I really believe him, I have to pray, your will, not mine, be done. Tough prayer to pray. We love it when the miracle is an instant blast of God's grace. You know? But sometimes the grace it was with my friend John over a two, three-year period where we were able to minister to a lot of people. I truly believe that if John would have lived 30 more years, he wouldn't have had the impact on the same amount of people as he did in that two-and-a-half, three-year period that we had in and out of the hospital. I'd leave my lecture at the university go right to the hospital, Barrows Institute there in Phoenix, and we'd eat lunch together and hang out, and start, and we start getting to know all these people and begin to share faith with them. Because why? Because of everything that God has done for us and what he's called us to do. Respect him and to walk in obedience to him. So that means I've got to what? I got to know what he wants me to do. What are his ways so that I can walk in them? How are you at being consistent in the word of God to see what God's asking of you? Things that you should do at work or in marriage or raising kids or wherever you are. You're not going to be perfect. That's what I love about this book. See, maybe sometime when you were young, you thought, well, when I go to church, all I do is feel guilty. Okay. No. The message of this has always been about reconciliation, about forgiveness, about grace, about, yes, the truth. But what was Jesus full of? Grace and truth. So a lot of us were raised with 99% truth and a little bit of grace, and Jesus was full of both of them. So going to church, being religious, whatever you want to call it, should never be about going to church and like, oh, I hear how bad I am and all that kind of stuff. God does not want us living in our past. He does not want us living in our circumstances. Remember the two old guys that bumped into each other? One said, hey, how you doing? The other one said, pretty good under the circumstances. And what did the other guy say? What are you doing under there? What are you doing under there? We choose to let people dominate our lives. I remember a rape victim saying to me one time, it took her six months, but she finally said, he ruined this part of my life. I will not let him control the rest of my life. God will punish him. I need to move on. Forgiveness isn't about him as much as it is about me. Don't live in your past. What are you doing under there? Living in guilt and shame and... I deal with a lot of drug and alcohol uh, recovery people in Phoenix. Love them to death. Um, can't relate sometimes because I was never into this stuff. Um, but I have my own problems. They have their problems. But we work together in the process. But when God takes over in their life, 
They start to see healing. It's amazing. I've seen six-month people and six-year people and 16-year people and a guy who just turned 50 years of sobriety. Isn't that amazing? And uh, God can do some amazing things if people will make decisions and choose to walk in obedience to him. People say to you and me a lot, why did that happen? Why did that happen? And the real simple answer is, you made a stupid decision. Okay? Whenever we rush into things and we don't talk to God about it, we get a case of the stupids. When you rush into things, whenever we're trying to determine what God's will is, you read the Bible, pray, and get godly counsel. But when we rush into things, we get a case of the stupids, make decisions, and then there are consequences to that. But I'm here to tell you today, there's some bad things going on in some of your lives right now that have nothing to do with anything you did. And when it's out of your control, you have to give it to him, don't you? My friend just had their car stolen. It was easy for me to give advice, wasn't it? Because it's their car. If it was mine, I'd be going crazy. But it's their car. Come on, be smart. Trust the Lord, right? They didn't make a mistake. Someone else did. But a lot of times, what do we do? We live in guilt and shame because of bad decisions we've made or what others have made unto us. When it's out of our control, we give it to him, and then we just say, God, I am so excited to see how you're going to get me out of this one. Do you have that kind of trust? Walk in obedience to him. Walk in obedience to him. What's he asking you to do? What is he asking you to do with your kids, with your work, with your house, with your life? What is he asking you to do that maybe you just like, oh man, I can't do this. But the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can do this. And there's a reason for you to be doing it. Some of you know the history of my dad being in the ministry for 60 some years, married to my mom and everything. He wasn't a perfect man, um, and, uh, but he was a good guy. And he cared about people, and he served other people. But his dad is what stirred him to go into ministry. His dad was a farmer for years and years. But no one knew inside my Grandpa Marshall that God was calling him to be a pastor. Now, sometimes there's some pastors that should be farmers, and they just don't realize it. And sometimes there's some farmers that should be pastors, and they just don't realize it. And not one is better than the other, okay? I've told John a million times that he and I are paid to be good. And people in the world expect us to be good. So when we share with the people that are in business and are lay people, they're not as impressed. But when you do it, when a painter does it, when a banker does it, when someone who works at the state hospital or at the the prison does it, it's more impactful because they see another layperson who isn't paid to be good. And as my dad would say, some of you are paid to be good and some of you are good for nothing, okay? Now, I don't know what that means. It's just funny. But uh, the bottom line is, I think we know what he's saying in, in a kind of a weird way, is that when that expectation of you and I, when we're on a plane, Unless the person next to us is ready to make a confessional, right? 
um, they probably wish they were sitting next to a business person who loved the Lord because then they relate it. Now, I got lucky. Here's how. Because I'm a college professor and a pastor, I could on the plane kind of read the person next to me and say, yeah, I you know, teach at a university. Oh, and then they let their guards down because not a minister is not religious. And then we have a nice conversation. And so I tease them later, you know, about what I really am. And, uh, and then I take an offering before I get off the plane. But anyway, um, basically, you have to work through the process of what God has given you and serve him with that. Now, this isn't going to happen very often, but some of you remember this story. One night, my dad and his dad, Marshall, come around the corner um, not sure where they were that night, and they can see smoke coming up. And uh, they get closer to their farm, and they get there, and they realize that their barns are burning down. And Marshall runs out into the middle of the field, so the story goes. And, uh, and basically, you know, in the midst of the fire, it's out of control. There's no way anybody can get there fast enough to be able to... And his barns and much of his crops were taken out. And he just raised up his hands and said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. We don't all have that kind of dramatic experience. My dad's had fires at different churches. Some of you know the running joke in our family is uh, we've had so many fires and it's refined the churches, it's grown the churches, it's changed the churches, it's changed the people. Because God works through bad situations. But the running joke in our family is we don't even, we're so superstitious now, we don't even sing the song, It Only Takes a Spark. (laughs) Um, Just kidding, that was bad. But um, there's a situation, there's a few younger people in here that have no idea what that song really is. (laughs) You can kind of tell how old you are by how you laughed at that joke. So, God, what do you want? Fear me, he says. Respect me. Live in respect of me. Don't live in fear of me. Live respecting me, respecting who I am, how much I love you, and how much I have a plan for you. Respect me. Allow my lordship in your life. Walk in obedience. Love him. Okay, let me take you back. Do you remember the first time you fell in love? Okay. Um. I was thinking about this, uh, and here's a great quote for you if you want to write it down. It's, you'll do almost anything for the one you love the most. You'll do almost anything for the one you love the most. And whatever you're in love with the most, you'll make sacrifices. And I remember this. I remember um, we've been married 41 years, and we dated four years at Cornerstone University down in Grand Rapids. That's where we met. She grew up in Quincy, Illinois, on the river. I grew up up here. We both lived in small towns, so we knew we were going to do small town ministry. So we moved to Phoenix, the fourth largest city in the country. And we've been there for 41 years, making the large city into a small town. Um, It's been very interesting. I look back on this whole aspect of falling in love. And I remember one time when I was supposed to get together with her and have a date or whatever we called it back then. And... um, in the old car that I had, um, broke down. So I literally was out on the road hitchhiking. 
And this was back, some of you younger ones here in the middle, uh, this is back when you could hitchhike and live, okay? And uh, so we actually could do that. And uh, so I'd be out there, and I'd show up, and she goes, what, what are we doing? And I was like, uh, we're going someplace close to your apartment today because <laughs> I have no car. And, uh, but it's interesting, the sacrifices we make, the, the money we spend, the things that we do um, for someone that we really love because it's more than a feeling. I wrote a song about that a long time ago. Some of you remember it. Um, It's more than a feeling, but it's what? It's a decision. So I'm going to give you a long definition. Don't write it down. Okay? You You don't have enough ink in your pen. Love is intentionally, intentionally doing something in Jesus' name, regardless of the cost or consequence to oneself regardless of the cost or consequence to oneself. I can say all I want that I love somebody, but, (laughs) you know. There's been a book for years called, you know, The Love Languages, and we'd read these and try to figure out what our spouse or girlfriend and boyfriend, what their love language was, and try to meet that need, because usually what their love language is isn't something that we like to naturally do. So we're doing all these things for them, but it really doesn't mean a lot to them because it's not their love language. So what we're doing is learning about that person, talking with them, conversational with them. And what happens when you learn about someone? You start to love them. And then you want to meet their needs. You want to care for them. You want to reach out. And I love that definition because intentionally means doing it on purpose, planning it out. I remember in the early years when I'd forget about our anniversary. And uh, is this still on tape? Uh, so it, uh, I'd forget about it, and then she could tell when I went through, uh, I forget what you guys have back here, but we have like Circle K's and uh, uh, 7-Elevens and fast you know, gas station, but you can go in and get a flower, and you can get a card, and you're going to get everything. She could tell when I did something at the last minute, and she could tell when I did something and actually planned it out, okay, because it only happened once in a while, so it's very easy for her to remember But there's a difference there with intentionally doing something to meet needs. Love is meeting needs and caring for people and reaching out. My dad was always this way, and I don't know if you remember this story, but when my dad got uh, stage 4 terminal cancer, liver cancer, we were down. uh, I flew down. None of the other siblings could fly down uh, at that time. So I spent the last week or so with my dad before he died. And dad was always caring about people and stuff like that. And uh, so I asked him, what do you want me to do, you know, caring for mom? What do you want me to do with kids, you know, the other siblings? You know, we're all older, but, you know, does he have, you know, what are your last wishes? Where do you want your ashes to be cast? And, you know, a lot of it had to do with here, being here. Um, so we went through it all. And then there was this lull. And I was like, I think he's gone. I think he's gone. So I waited, and a couple of the nurses came by, and uh, we were talking, and then I didn't hear him snoring. I didn't hear anything, so I, I thought he was completely gone, and so I was just going to wait and ask the girls. And So we're talking about different things and all that kind of stuff, and probably two hours go by since I really had heard anything from him. So the girls and I start talking a little bit louder and everything like that. So we're just in a normal setting in the, in the room. 
And all of a sudden, in the midst of the three girls and myself having this conversation, the nurses are, <clears throat> there was a quick movement on the bed, kind of shocked us. We turned, and he goes, Tim, shut up. <laughs> These nurses have other patients to take care of. These girls were laughing so hard they fell on the floor, first of all. Your dad's almost dead, and his last words are, shut up, okay? I said, well, there's a reason for that, okay? I come from my mom's side, you know, and um, where we've never met a word we didn't like. And uh, so the, uh, my dad was joking with me later. He goes, well, what do you want said at your funeral? I said, the first thing I want said is, the world is now quieter that Tim is gone, you know. And, uh, but it was so interesting. Even at the end of his life, what's he thinking? Thinking about other people, other patients, you know. I mean, I saw the bill, so I'm, I'm not, I don't have a problem with holding those nurses up, you know. No, just kidding. But... Uh, it's just kind of a, a deal where he, this is the way he was to the end, you know, serving other, meeting other people. Don't worry about me, you know. You want to live a life of leisure or a life of service? When we love him, what do we do? Bounce, bounce, love, love, serve. We're going to serve others. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. It's important when we die about our job and about what we leave behind for our kids and grandkids. But I think more than anything, you know, the legacy that my dad left behind and others left behind is far-reaching than any money, anything that they've done. Someone asked me, what did, what did he say? He said at the end, take care of mom. Here's some ideas. Get the four kids, the four of you, talking more because we're spread out all over the country. We get along because we live far apart. No, because we, uh, um, we get along. But he wanted us to get on a thread and communicate with each other, and so we started to do it. People said, a lot of times after funerals, families don't get along. I said, we get along really well because my dad didn't leave a lot of money. And we laugh about that. But there's a point where what he left was far greater than that. And sometimes in this world, we do get caught up in stuff. We get caught up in all that. Serving others. I want that to be your legacy. I want it to be my legacy. To meet the needs of the poor. To meet the needs of single moms. To meet the needs of these poor young kids that are being raised without dads being present on a, on a regular basis. What does the Bible say? Take care of the widows and orphans. And I think that includes our single moms. I think that includes our uh, people that you know, are going through some really rough situations. So I ask you today to think about your legacy. 
we were talking about this with a group of people the other day, just jokingly, um, it came on TV with something like someone just said, what are you doing to build your legacy today? What are you doing to build your legacy today in relationships, caring for people, serving people? So let's read it. Look up one last time. What does the Lord God ask of you? But to fear, respect the Lord your God, to walk in obedience in all of his ways, to love him above all, to serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. And in serving other people, we're serving the Lord. God, I thank you this morning. And we make this commitment collectively today. We commit to improve our serve, to do things intentionally in your name, to help others around us, to show the love of Jesus. I thank you so much for you serving us, God, by sending your son Jesus to die for our sin, that all we have to do is admit we're sinners, believe your son died and rose again for us, and invite him into our lives. Lord, we're not better than anybody else. We actually realize we're worse because we admit we're sinners. But God, as we come to faith, grow us in your word. Keep us in community in the church. Help us to serve this area. Meet the needs of the kids and the athletes and the students around us. And uh, do what we can do to share the love of Christ, to break down the barriers and the walls. Cause us to serve out of love, not out of duty. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.